My name is Tiffany, and you're listening to Voices of INSEAD. Together, we listen to the stories of our incredible peers from across the globe and discuss topics such as professional, cultural, and life experiences in an open and genuine way. Let's get to it. Hi, guys. Welcome to another episode of Voices of INSEAD with Roman Garimella. Hi, Roman. Hello. Uh, Roman is the younger of two kids. He grew up in India, Hyderabad. And over the last eight years, he's lived all over Europe, uh, Germany, Belgium, Netherlands. That's it. And now France because of INSEAD. Now France, Singapore, uh, international. He originally studied to be an engineer, but he then became a professional cyclist for a few years and then even pivoted into sports science and worked for a sports tech consulting company who sponsored, sponsored his PhD in sports science, which we'll find out more about. Uh, he did his pre-MBA consulting internship at Roland Berger in Brussels. And he's a very sporty guy. He plays about five, six sports as a hobby. And he discovered in the last years that he also loves cooking. He's been cooking for all the INSEAD students, bringing us together, um, keeping the motto alive. All I do is eat and drink. I don't remember how you say it. Oh, yeah. I never stop eating and drinking. That's, that's the right one. Uh, and his teachers and allies are that he's run 25 marathons that he's taught competitive Sudoku solving in an elementary school, and that he used to sleep in a rented house that was a kindergarten during the day. Okay, I have no idea which one it is. So, let's go. Um, Brahman, thanks for being with us. Thank you very much for having me, and congratulations on setting up the podcast. Uh, I know it's been hard to get the approval from the authorities, but very impressed and uh, amazing that you got it Thank you. I love that you call them authorities. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Insead, for letting me record in your in your rooms reserved to staff. Thank you. Um, so tell us more about Hyderabad. Can you just describe to us the city just so that we get to know another place in the world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hyderabad is, I think, the fifth or sixth biggest city in India. And we, about five or ten years ago, we were already at eight million. So it's not small it's huge but it's just not the most important or talked about city uh, indian city in the world i mean we're not known for a lot of things um i think the ceo of microsoft is from hyderabad okay and, not uh, bad yeah biryani is like a thing that we're very proud of it's a dish with uh, slow cooked meat and you know rice and like 25 or 30 different spices uh, so yeah that's uh, that's where i grew up Hyderabad, and I studied in Goa in India. Oh, nice. I was there over break. It's a nice place. Yeah, it's not a bad place to, to study in. I mean, it's where people usually go to holiday. Yeah. So I was lucky enough to spend four years there. Did you actually study or were you very distracted? Oh, I was super distracted. But also, you know, when you're doing a bachelor's, you don't have a lot of money. So it's fine. That keeps you in check. Nice. And what did you study? What kind of engineering? Um, I did mechanical engineering in uh, Goa. Then... Uh, Right after that, I, I mean, in India, you, you typically you only get two or three choices, career choices. Your family says you do, you become a doctor, you become an engineer or, you know, accounting. It's a very limited set. Uh, and I come from a family of engineers and they said, you know, you can do whatever you want, but, you know, you've got to be an engineer first. So I did that and then I decided, hmm, now that I'm done, you know, I can actually do whatever I want. And as a kid, I'd always wanted to be something in sports. 
So I decided because I'd got a bike that summer and I joined a local club and started doing rides with them. I thought, uh, let me give this a shot. Like, let me give this a serious shot. At the age of 20 or 21, I decided start training and racing uh, bikes in India. Wow. Okay. And so how, how did your obsession with sports start? Like how old were you? What sport was it? Um, I mean, my first love is probably cricket and most Indian kids grow up wanting to play cricket for India, which is, which is wild a pipe me. dream, which is totally <laughs> wild because just the chances, how many applicants there are, it's just a whole, it's very organized for cricket. I can't say that about every other sport, but there's so many ranks you got to go up and it's just, it's near impossible. But, you know, kids dream about it. I was no different. I dreamt cricket was, you know, what first got me into sport. Uh, and as a kid in general, you know, growing up at home was not the easiest. So I would just love being outside, love being with friends, be the first guy to leave class and be the last guy to leave the playground kind of thing. Uh, and after that was football and then a bit of tennis as well. Growing okay. up. Yeah. Can you introduce everyone to cricket for people that don't know wh what it is? Just like it's a long day right it's a very yeah. complicated game it can last many days right there's a yeah. lot of variables that are bizarre about crickets and i think only only certain countries play cricket right or like all the countries where the uk was basically if i understand well yeah i don't like, know that much about it that's about as as much i know and i just yeah. know about cricket gate where people try to like play with the balls to yeah. win yeah. some advantage or something that's right there's all kinds of like dubious things uh, that people get in trouble for in cricket but uh, I mean let's just try to keep it short cricket is it's an old sport and there's no there's no rules of cricket but there's laws of cricket and the, so people take it very seriously it's a very documented sort of sport uh, started by the British uh, they even call it the gentleman's game because back when it started it used to be I think it could there was even a nine-day version of cricket I think seven or nine day version and people would be dressed in all whites and leather shoes and they would actually be actually be dressed like you know they were at an army event uh, but now there's all kinds of modernizations there's a there's a five day version of it there's a nine hour version of it and the four hour version of it and i think the most popular one now is the four hour for obvious reasons right mm. it's the most uh, easy to consume uh, it's very high paced so You can think of like the pace of the game, like inversely correlated to how long it is. Like the, the five day one is super slow, you know, like real aficionados would go um, take time off work and so on. But the four hour one is like the, the one where young people can go just have a nice evening out. Uh, it's huge. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we could go on forever about cricket. My yeah. one question would be, um, is there a social class element to who plays cricket? Or does everyone play cricket in India? In India, everyone plays cricket. Um, but to be able to make it to the national team, there's all kinds of, you know, there's people from all backgrounds who make it to the national team. But it helps to have access to coaching and access to a network that can, you know, maybe help you along the way. I mean, if you have no talent, no one can help you. But Even with talent, sometimes you might need a coach or a mentor or, you know, a network that can help you, you know, get to the right auditions. My question was more, 
because you were describing it as a gentleman's game where people wear white and it lasts many days like yeah. and I, i'm just imagining football where any kid in the street with a football can play football right and yeah. then cricket you need a large space you need a lot of green space or maybe probably on sand also you can play yeah so is there an element where any like everyone plays cricket from like lower social classes to high social classes or it's mostly high social classes that can afford the space and I'm just I'm just wondering if it's a very popular sport or it's very niche. It's extremely popular. I mean, okay. you can play cricket anywhere. We could play cricket in the corridor outside. Okay. You know, there's like every variant of cricket imaginable. There's like beach cricket, there's gully cricket, which is you said you had family in Mumbai. Like gully cricket is like a huge thing all over the world, but especially in like urban areas. Gully means a street or an alley. Mm. And gully cricket is just cricket, you know, played when there's no traffic, if there's no traffic you start playing a game of cricket and it's pretty wild there's all kinds of like house crazy. rules you know yeah. my city my you know area would have its own house rules and somebody who grew up in another part of india would have their own rules for cricket and did uh, girls play cricket also is it more a guy thing girls do play cricket in fact the under 19 women's world cup was won by india nice. over the weekend but not nearly enough girls play Uh, yeah in my opinion i mean it's probably the same for most sports right yeah um okay so you developed this love for cricket and sports in general and then why cycling why why did you get into cycling after after football tennis cricket um yeah fair question i like i said i it just happened by chance that i had a few months after i graduated and before my first job and i really wanted to get a bike just because you know to commute or because Uh, I had friends who used to do it and I thought you know that was a cool thing to do to stay fit uh, but I really obsessed over like I joined like a local club and they would do weekend rides or like overnight bike rides just you know just do distance uh, so like ultra endurance kind of thing and then um, I soon realized that oh if you actually want to be any kind of athlete competitively uh, a s- skill comes in the way of you picking it up like I couldn't decide at age 21 to become you know a national level badminton player for example because there's a lot of skill and muscle memory and like coordination and other attributes that you would need ideally you should have started at age 9 any sport you know age 7 yeah. but then I realized oh endurance sport is something that's relatively accessible even if you don't have you know a certain skill so it's more about the engine of yeah. uh, you know your cardiovascular uh, system and also a lot of lot of it is genetics so i thought yeah this is something i could give it give a shot so it was a strategic choice almost where you asked yourself okay what sport would i have a shot at playing nationally possibly i didn't dream of you know nationally at that point but yeah it worked out and so okay so you start this and you become a professional cyclist so i'm sure there was a big big time period between those two things like what did it take to become a professional cyclist how many months years uh what kind of races did you have to do what did it even mean to be a professional cyclist for india right like what did you compete yeah. in so many questions i know so Sorry. many questions yeah <laughs> um unfortunately it's not as organized as it is in europe so in europe if one were to you know be a professional cyclist there's a contract there's employment and there's you know it's very systematic organized and there's also like clear pathways to how you get there mm-hmm. you know there's like a club system actually like, i don't even know i'm saying yes ah. but 
it's it doesn't seem that clear to me either i don't know maybe you know how it works in europe yeah because i feel like i mean in order to get one of those contracts you'd have to be already really good right yeah so you can't just access it so do you think in, if you had been in europe it would have been easier to access like what yeah we don't have to talk about europe we can focus on india yeah so in india it's 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 quite chaotic it's very unorganized um the what the the cycling body in india does is there's competitions at the national level state level district level city level that's the basic skeleton they don't do anything beyond this the rest mm-hmm. is just organized privately like i myself along with my friends we used to hold a lot of events because we thought oh there's not enough like weekend races which tends to happen in other parts of the world especially in the summer months and when it's uh, cycling season so yeah that's how it's set up in india um so eventually like over like three or four years that i did it in the first year i wouldn't finish any race it was really embarrassing like i was totally out of shape uh but i would just do it uh eat it what kind but, of races how many kilometers are we talking about um i did mostly road racing um and the really serious ones would be anywhere between 50 and 150 kilometers but then i would also do these ultra endurance uh they're not exactly competitive races but there's like a time element you got to finish really long distances in a set time so you know the longest that i did was 600 kilometers uh and you got 40 hours to do it and you could just do it however you wanted it's like self supported self organized uh but the high speed the extremely competitive ones were you know road races you know 50 to 150 kilometers mm. and so you didn't finish meaning you didn't finish in that lot of time or you just couldn't finish because you were exhausted i would i would either be exhausted or i would just finish last okay or like people would be laughing me and stuff but you know over time um i didn't get better uh i was you know twice city champion district champion state champion and in the country i was like top 12 top 10 that kind of thing and how and long did that take to get there that took about 3 or 3 and a half years okay yeah. so how long did you suck for for like at least one year yeah and for that one year did you question yourself like why am i doing this or were you working at the same time or were you i did i mean i had i worked for you know a large american bank okay uh, so you were already working so you were doing this for fun but i quit that okay uh in order to focus on cycling but then i realized i probably didn't need to quit that job i should have done something part time but the great thing that happened was it opened me up to just do fun gigs all the time like i worked in a bike shop i used to write cycling you know for a cycling magazine uh, we used to organize races um So you hustled basically to find yeah. ways to make money. Yeah, and uh, you know, I was I was living in my hometown, which means I lived at home. Mm. So I had a lot of family support as well. Uh it was just overall a very fun time for me. Um So I did question myself. In fact, a lot of people around me did the questioning for me. In India, we have this extended family system where people care a lot about how much money you make and where you're headed in life and why you're not doing the the traditional things that things you're quote unquote supposed to do mm. and i was you know i went to a good school but still i was some, somehow the black sheep of the family because who the hell quits this comfortable job to kill yourself on the bike in the heat in traffic and you don't even know if you're going to get money or do anything with it 
Um, so yeah, there was every week there was you know uncles or aunts or cousins trying to ask questions. Um, yeah, how yeah. did you did you just continue doing it? Like, how did you have the the mind to just continue? I think it helps to be rebellious because when people do that, it just makes me like. I like it. I like that this is making you uncomfortable kind of feeling, you know. I'm going to do more of it. I'm going to see how far I go with this. Uh, but obviously, I wasn't very abrasive about it. But internally, I was like, yeah, this is cool, you know. It's kind of fueling, um, maybe because I don't know what it was, but maybe rebellion is like a strong word. But yeah, it didn't bother me too much. Did you get the same fuel from losing races? Because I can imagine how frustrating it must be for a year to lose races. Um, it yeah. Now that I think about it, it was maybe a little more than a year. But yeah, I did actually. I did. Uh, or did you make make it you more hungry the same way? I think in my mind it was like I know this is not the end. You know, mm. there's I know the when this ends is not now. Like I'm obviously going to keep going because this is no way to like stop. So uh, it sucked, but you know, uh, I just knew that there was more to do. I guess. And did you have good partners, people that were trying to become professional cyclists like you that helped you along the way? Or Yes, absolutely. And this is where the pivot to sports science comes because we didn't have a lot of faith in like the coaching system in India. We were still like stuck like in the 80s, 90s. Uh, just the training methods didn't make any sense. So we, you know, we had access to books and blogs and videos and resources on the internet. So a bunch of us like friends used to train together coach each other we would decide on things like what kind of equipment to buy like what nutrition what kind of training plans to set up how to time your calendar based on which the most important race was um, and then we realized wait a second this is exactly sports science so we were actually kind of doing it just unofficially Mm. which is when I got the idea, this is actually, if I had to go to school, I would do it for something that I loved. I'm like, okay, this is cool then. I know what to do next, which was sports science. And I found this great program in Germany, um, the master's in sports science. So where so was the program in Germany? Where? Where, yeah. Oh, this was in a place called Constance. Okay, nice. I know Constance. the German-Swiss border. Very beautiful place. Yeah. Uh, the huge lake and... Yeah, I'm glad I moved. And so you had a sports tech company that sponsored you, right? Did you work for them before? Uh, no. So in this two-year program, I studied and worked, you know, uh, one year study and the rest was just a bunch of internships. And then through them, I met this company in Belgium that said, um, we're a sports tech company. Uh, we're looking for someone who can stay with us for a few years. Uh, and you work for us. And while you work for us, we we have this idea to, you know, sponsor a PhD. I'm like, yeah, cool. If this lets me stay in Europe for some more years, then, and it's let me stay in sports, specifically in cycling. Uh, I'm like, yeah, why not? So when I moved to Belgium. I know you're Belgian too, right? Yeah, I'm Belgian. But I also grew up in Germany. Um, okay, so Belgium, where were you in Belgium? In Brussels? Or? This was in Antwerp. In Antwerp? Oh, nice. Okay, so what did you do? What was the sports tech company? What were they doing? Um, it's a small small-ish company. It's a design and engineering firm. Uh, they did consulting work for a lot of sectors, actually, but they also had a sports practice, meaning if there was a company that made bikes or helmets or 
you know, race cars or speedboats. Uh, they would just be looking to optimize existing designs or come up with new designs, just aerodynamically, how to make things faster, basically, how to make things more streamlined, energy efficient. Uh, that's what the company did. And my work was also very much in... So it all came together in the end, like engineering, mechanical engineering, and cycling. And I worked with a lot of uh, pro cyclists mm. in the aerodynamics of cycling. So we would do like wind tunnel tests, uh, help them, you know, get better on the bike with, you know, how to be more aerodynamic because that's the most important part of uh, road cycling. So this makes me realize I actually didn't ask you, there must have been a decision point where you decided, okay, I'm not going to become a professional cyclist or I don't want to follow that route anymore. Yeah. And I want to go back into studying, studying sports science specifically. Um, why did you decide that? Uh, I wish I had a smart answer, but it just happened. Um, Were you I happy with what you achieved so far? Did you want more from it? It was the best finish I had. So I think I somehow decided at the last nationals that I went to. So that year I won the track uh, regionally and then in the nationals for the road cycling bit, I was in you know, the top 10 or 12, top 10, 15. Um, yeah, and somehow I'm like, I still feel like it's unfinished business. Like there's age group racing, for instance. You could, I still feel like later in life, I need to go back to India mm. and, you know, win the national championship. It's just not now. Like we have a 35 plus or a 40 plus uh, master's category, it's called. So I would be really keen to do that. So I still feel like there's something unfinished. But at that point, I felt like, Maybe I want to do something else. I always wanted to travel. I didn't travel at all before that. Like, I only lived in India before that. Um, and to do something that I loved would have been the perfect deal. Like, and how was it coming to Europe from India? How was the cultural shock? Um, I actually really loved it. Um, like, I, I completely threw myself into it. I learned German. Um, because it was a small town, you couldn't really survive on English. Um, I really appreciated a lot of the change. It wasn't necessarily a shock. There was some shock and some, like, uncomfortable, you know, or funny or messy incidents. But on the whole, I really liked it. I'm like, wow, I wish I did this earlier and I wish a lot more people did this. But I get it. Like, I was really lucky and privileged to be um, just changing continents you know yeah did it deciding. change the way you see things were you or were you already because i think you have to be really open right mm -hmm. to discover a completely new way of living did that affect you or were you did you feel like in some ways it was because to me like the biggest culture shock i had was when i went to india i felt like it was a very different way of living very colorful very flavorful and then you i imagine you coming to germany where people don't eat spicy at all all yeah. this, the food must be very bland yeah. people are very strict you know there's rules everywhere yeah i mean specifically about germany i can share the things that i really liked i love that stuff just worked yeah you know and uh, things were punctual people were punctual if they said they would do something it would get done you don't have to follow up you don't have to ask and that also kept me on my toes a bit you know that improved my integrity a bit. If I committed to something, I would, um, you know, I would make sure that they don't have to ask me again, for instance, or just show up on time. Uh, 
Yeah. So I like that part of it. And uh, where I come from, it's very different. You know, it's just a different set of rules. I'm not saying that you can or cannot thrive. You just see that, oh, this is also possible. You know, this country or this culture runs on a different set of rules. Another thing I really liked was uh, just the fact that there's a lot of personal boundaries. Like uh, in India, many times, like I felt like I didn't have a choice to say no to like a family thing or like a friend's thing. But in Europe, it's like, yeah, it's totally cool. It's totally understandable to say that. Yeah, I'm not going to, I can't make it. I got mm. something else. So little things like that. Um, so it's nice, yeah. I wish, uh, I mean, time is just too short, right? Ideally, I would love to experience the same thing in Japan, for instance, or an African nation or South America. Just try to see, oh, what are these different rules that, that exist and that are so like a world apart from uh, home. I also like this thing that I think it was Stephen Fry who says travel is more about, travel teaches you more about home mm. than about, you know, the destination itself. So how has coming to INSEAD been? Because you're exposed to all the different types of nationalities. Is that why you came here partly? I love it. I love it. I also hate the fact that it's only 10 months. Mm. Um, it is a big reason of why I came. I mean, why I came to INSEAD professionally, it's a no-brainer. It is going to pay off over the rest of my career. There's like 30 or 40 years to go. And I strongly believe that you will get what you want from this crazy, you know, resourceful and elite club, mm. which is the INSEAD alum base. Uh, but in the short term, I really needed like a personal reset, especially after COVID and the end of my PhD was really stressful. And my work was also like very isolating. Mm. The end of a PhD is typically just you and your laptop just putting words together, just compiling the whole thing into writing. So, And it actually doesn't matter to anybody else. It's just you that wants to finish it, that needs to finish it. So there was no team, there was no like, especially like the last one or two years before INSEAD, um, this kind of a lonely uh, journey. Mm. So I was really looking forward to this and it's nice. I finally got, you know, I, I get a lot of energy now from being around people and being socially around, uh, uh, like you said, people from all kinds of culture. It just feels like a big pond. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're all used to like diverse ponds, you know, but you move from a small pond to a bigger pond to a bigger pond. So I think so far it's been the biggest pond. Do you feel like it's exposing you to different cultures in a faster way where maybe you can experience Japan and Africa in some, some ways? Because you were just, you were saying that's something you wish you had more time for. Yeah. So, okay. Here's what I like about India. It's like any country that you go to, there's always a local now who mm. will show you around or at least, you know, even if they can't, you know, share their home with you they're sharing a part of their home with you like they tell you where to go they tell you what to avoid they will try their best to be there with you uh, host you you know wine and dine you and that's also something i could really get used to like i've been to since INSEAD started like maybe six or seven countries and each time it was because there was someone from 23j who was there with me what's been your favorite trip so far Oh, I have to say Japan. I was there over the break when you were in India. So the P2P3 break, I was in Japan uh, with a lot of Singhi people and some locals. So that was wow, cool. nice. That's on my bucket list for a long time. And What was your favorite finally, part? Uh, the food. Is it as good as they say? I still haven't been. 
it is it is it's very different and quite a lot of food i don't think one trip would do enough justice to everything japan has to offer food wise or otherwise cool um yeah i mean we can talk about your plans for the future so you interned in consulting before instead right and a lot of but that's not where you're you want to go back or potentially i might go back for some more time yeah but eventually i would like continue to be in sports just do different things so so far in sports i've done you know practicing sport coaching researching advising you know athletes but i would just like to see what else is there i mean um, one of my goals is to you know i would love to work in football in the uk just putting mm. it out there uh, so if I'm you're listening <laughs> <laughs> potentially yeah. arsenal he's open to an offer from there yeah exactly <laughs> and uh, i just want to see just stay in sports for some reason this is i kind of decided this is where i want to be a decade ago and i'm going with it so far is still a very strong pull um i might do consulting i also know there's like a intersection of sports and consulting but it's not a very huge world mm. uh, there are sports consulting firms uh, in asia in the middle east in the uk so yeah let's see right after insiad what happens cool let's see um last thing i we would touch on is you discovered that you like cooking right recently and you're kind of famous at Insead for having cooked for a lot of people. Uh, at least I've heard a lot of your dinner parties. What kind of food, like what made you discover that you love cooking? What kind of food do you like cooking? Um, so moving to Europe, I also became very homesick at some point. You know, the honeymoon phase faded. You were tired of the sausage and... You try <laughs> a lot of things and you're like, uh, okay, I have run out of things to, to vacation on. Uh, and then you start, there is homesickness. And to me, the way it manifested is I just started missing all the food. Uh, and so I would just learn how to cook by myself. You uh, learn on your own? I mean, from YouTube and from friends. But So you would uh, call friends to, so they help you or they would send you recipes? We all kind of had similar journeys because like me, a lot of people had left India and were also like discovering a love for food, I guess. So we would actually literally just be calling each other or sharing recipes. Uh, different it, parts of the world, yeah. In India, like, do men cook also as much as women? Um, no, they don't. Um, right, so I, it's like a, spe a special thing in some way. You leave home and that's when you have to cook in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I used to spend time in the kitchen. I think I read somewhere statistically that Indians spend the most amount of time in a kitchen. It's something like on average 16 hours per week. And it's mostly women who do it. Mm. Uh, I did spend time in the kitchen. I wouldn't say I learned how to cook. I was more like the errand boy um, for my mom. Mm. But I think now I'm a better cook than my mom. Wow. <laughs> would she agree? Yeah, she would. Also because, you know, I grew up vegetarian. Like she never cooked with meat or chicken. So And you I eat meat? A, yeah, I do. But you probably don't make your parents meet, right? No, 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 no. Yeah. So, yeah, so I feel like um, cooking and food is a very nice way to get to know people. Mm. Uh, sharing a meal. I know it's cliche that you break bread with someone and you sort of break one barrier when you do that. Uh, I strongly believe it. And I think uh, I'm very happy when people come over to my kitchen 
sit down with me, uh, like to hear, you know, the story behind what I cooked, which is from my hometown. So that's really enjoyable to me. I think that's an intimate way to get to know someone. Uh, people come, you know, people come hungry, that's very important. But they also come with a lot of openness. Uh, and I think in some way INSEAD is special because you wouldn't find this level of openness or acceptance uh, outside this amazing community. It's not a real reflection of uh, uh, every nationality, let's say. It's just the people who dare or people who are the most curious who happen to be at INSEAD. So that helps as well. Mm. The people are very open to something like that. You mean to your to a different type of cooking, to a new culture? Yeah, to a different type yeah. of cooking. I mean, I've seen people suffer because they can't handle spicy food, but I make it anyway. Uh, or you know, they they see me eating with my hand and like they want to try it too. Yeah. Uh, which is really cool, I think. And yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, we could just go into the two truths and the lie and shed some slightly more stories before we finished. So have you, it's either that you've run 25 marathons, that you taught competitive Sudoku in an elementary school that you used to sleep in a rented house that was a kindergarten during the day, so maybe shed lights on these stories. Which ones are true, which ones are not? Uh, the one that's not true is uh, the marathons part. I've not done a single marathon yet. Oh, really? But thanks oh, to... Oh, that's surprising. I love that you went to 25 immediately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's thanks to a few people in 23j i'm actually going to be doing my first marathon in may where uh this is in copenhagen cool that's a that's a nice place yeah and it's supposed to be flat so very good food in also. some ways oh yeah that's true yeah and flat you're right it's so like, it's somehow easier but it's never easy first marathon is still painful i've never done one uh, i've gone max i've done is 30 kilometer it's crazy to me because you're going to have to run a lot you're going to spend your p4 running are you ready yeah i think in some way it's also to keep me accountable and keep me healthy because mm. otherwise if i don't have like external motivation like if left to my own devices i would just be wasting it away okay and then competitive sudoku so that means it's true what's up with that is that that's one of the side gigs i did when i was cycling um like i got really obsessive about sudoku i would do it competitively is that a big thing in india no it's not a big thing anywhere i mean but it is a thing there's like national championships and world championships do you know so ken ken sudokus ken ken yeah if i saw it i might no it's way. Sudoku's with multiplications, divisions. That's my favorite. Sure. So there's arithmetic operations baked into it. So competitive Sudoku is like a big part of it is like, okay, the 30% of any championship is uh, what you see in newspapers. We call classic Sudokus. Mm -hmm. And the rest is just variants, like you said, Ken Ken and uh, Killer Sudoku and Skyscraper Sudoku and all okay. kinds of like variants. Yeah. So yeah, I got really obsessive about this, spent way too much time. And uh, I met someone through this community who happened to own like a couple of schools back in my hometown and said, uh, if you're interested, why don't you come to my school and teach kids? So I did that for a year, like every week. Did they like it? Yeah, they kind of chose it too. It's like it was the activity class, you know, so kids can choose between like 10 or 15 things. So this is the set that chose to like Sudoku. That's cute. They're probably quite geeky, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
What about um, you used to live in a kindergarten? Is it also during that time? Oh, no, this was, yeah, yeah this was just after um, I graduated. I had to do an internship somewhere during my graduation, actually, during my undergrad. Um, and it's almost like, sounds like a Singapore story, right? Like real estate is a problem. So what do you do? Like you find these odd things on Airbnb. Like I just found this place that was super close to work, but it, the payoff, the, the trade-off was that uh, I had to leave every morning before eight, which was convenient because I had to be at work. But it basically used to be like a kindergarten or play school. That's so, so crazy. That is crazy. I can't believe I did that. The yeah. kind of things you do to save money. Like but could you use sometimes. it on the weekends? I guess on the weekends, the kids didn't have kindergarten. I could use it on the weekends, but I had a Thursday off because it was like a manufacturing plant and just the power outage was every Thursday. So I would actually go to a friend's place that one day. So it was a lot of hustle. And like I'm wondering now, was it worth it? Like I had to pack my mattress, pack everything, like shove everything in like a storage room. And did you know the kids? Did you? No, I never met any kids. No, not That's crazy. I never ever encountered another like human being. I think this is one of the weirdest places I've ever heard someone live in. That's crazy. Yeah. Do you save money? Who knows? You spend more time with your friends socializing. Yeah. Well, I mean, people in Singapore are doing weird things, right? People, somebody lives in a mall or a bunch of people live in a mall. I here. think that's pretty normal, actually, for <laughs> Singapore. A lot of us are living in malls, weirdly, not me. but Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I uh, really enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed it too. Absolutely. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for having me and allowing me to share this. Thank you so much. Bye, guys.